This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. It's easy to get started. Visit westernsouthern.com. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Jim Day Podcast. All right, welcome into another edition of the Jim Day Podcast, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well out there, and thanks for, as always, checking us out. And we've got a big old digital group hug today. Oh, group hug, digital electronic group hug here. Because it's another edition of the Writer's Roundtable, a little topical edition of the podcast to uh, talk everything Cincinnati Reds as we bring in our esteemed panel. By the way, last time I think I introduced these guys via seniority. This time I actually did some work. I flipped a coin, a series of rounds to see the order of which I would introduce you. So I don't know how you guys want to look at your luck this week of how this turned out. Maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. But from the Cincinnati Inquirer, Bobby Nightingale joins us. From the Athletic C. Trent Rosecrans, and I don't know what this says about your luck, Mark Sheldon, but Mark Sheldon from MLB.com came up short in the rounds of flipping coins. But gentlemen, how are we doing? Fantastic. Be first. <laughs> I'm ahead of Mark, to be last. so there we go. Bobby was first, and I guess, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll shoot the first question to Bobby, I guess, that you won the rounds, Bobby. I don't know what this means because normally I give off extreme bad luck, so I, I really hope you have a good week. By the way, for the record, we are recording this on Monday morning. This is the morning after the Reds uh, unfortunately dropped three in a row to the Brewers, which certainly changes the situation. With the trade deadline looming, uh, what do you and the division race? What do you think the situation is a, as we currently stand here after losing three to the Brewers? I certainly think it becomes a lot less urgent in terms of pushing all your chips to the middle and saying, "Here we go." Um, now that you're seven games back in the division, I think six and a half out of the wild card. So it, it, it definitely changed their playoff picture. I mean, if you look at kind of the, the raw odds that you see on websites like fan graphs and everything else, they dropped by about 10%. Um, so it was, a, it was a disappointing weekend for the Reds. I mean, it's, it's obviously that was one of the possible situations, but you went from potentially one game out of the division if you swept the Brewers, if everything went the other way, uh, to now seven. So I, I definitely think it's a big hole. I don't think the season's over by any stretch, but um, I think it definitely changes how you have to approach the deadline. We'll go to the middle Brady. That would be Peter Brady, in this case, C. Trent Rosecrans. What do you think it does as far as everyone crying for, for help, bullpen help, et cetera, with the trade deadline looming? Is it still wait and see? There's still some time before that happens, and a lot can happen in a week in baseball. Yeah, I think you almost – it's – I think things over the last couple of days has made it more imperative um, because we've seen Michael Lorenzen return to the IL. 
Um, we've seen, we've been told that uh, TJ Antone Lucas Sims will not return until after the break. Um, there's still, you know, uh, 10, 11 days. Uh, there's a lot of games against um, contenders, New York, St. Louis, Chicago, between now and the trade deadline. I, I think you have to look at that and maybe even intensify your search for, for answers that are not the ones that were easily, that you could easily identify as coming through without making changes in your system. So I, I think I think they're almost even bigger now um, because, again, even if you aren't going full on, you still want to do well, and this team needs needs help, frankly. Mark Sheldon, by the way, you're always a winner in my book, despite the coin toss thing. Thank you. Yes. I just thought I'd I'll be careful it. today. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, you know, the when you ask the players and the team and they say there's a long way to go and it's the so-called second half of the season, it's not exactly the second half. It's less than that. It's a lot of ground to make up on the Brewers, and it's really hard to make up those grounds, that ground in this amount of games, is it not? It is. <clears throat> Excuse me, it is. And it, what makes it harder is they don't see the Brewers again for another month. So they're – direct opportunity to change the race is, is uh, been really diminished. Although Christian Yelich did say that they're one bad week from being back in a tight race again. So that's always possibility. It's yes, it's gotten away from them a little bit, but like Trent said, uh, they, this is probably when they really need to make a push to, to make, to see if they can get some help, you know, maybe not overpay for it. If they can, if there's a right deal, maybe they'll explore those, but they, they really did hurt themselves uh, with, with the, you know, losing all three games, if they had taken two, even if they had won one, it would have been, you know, they would have won the series, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, four to three. And that just looks a lot better than going three and four. One thing that will help at least Reds fans hope is that the Brewer schedule is definitely tougher this half than it was the first half. And they've got to go out West a few times. Those Western teams are really good, which the Reds found out, but I'll just throw this out. Uh, to anyone that wants to talk about it. What what do you think this trade deadline is going to be like? It's It seems to be different each year. And there's been the unknown of last year, and there's still teams in it. And the teams that are in it are all looking for bullpen help. So do you think the top relievers, the ones that will truly make a difference, are you going to have to overpay for them? Absolutely. There's going to be the demand for prospect capital from all those teams, the the Twins, the Marlins, the Pirates aren't going out there looking for a veteran. You know, they're not looking for a bag of balls either. They're looking for prospects that are probably either they can they can uh, kind of bet high on and just get a, like a low A player and really develop them in their own system, or they want a guy that's close to major league ready. I'm guessing so they, they don't want to just get sludge. They want good prospects, and will the Reds do that to get a reliever, especially a reliever maybe with an expiring contract? That's a that's a tough one. This team does not like to do that too often, but it has done it and it's shown a willingness to do it in the past. And it's, you know, had mixed results. I think one of the big issues is nobody is quite sure who these guys are with the crackdown on the so-called sticky stuff. If you're going on what people have done in the past and, and, you know, it is so, uh, volatile relievers are volatile and their performance is so volatile that you only have about 
I don't know, a couple of weeks worth of data of who these guys may actually be if they are indeed cracking down on the substances you can put on the ball. So, I mean, I think that is one really big issue about the, the reliever market and some teams, you know, that's why I, th- I thought for a while that it might, it might be easier just to stay in house because you know better what your guys are doing than what somebody else is doing. So I think that is still going to be a big hurdle for, for a lot of teams to clear. Bobby, do you think it's worth it? Do you think it's worth trading a prospect for a reliever? Because, you know, back, we go back a few years. Bullpens are so much more important nowadays. But bat, you would like, no, I'm not trading a top prospect for a reliever. But at the times of change, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't trade a top prospect, but you look at the price of Archie Bradley last year, that was Josh Van Meter and Stuart Fairchild, and Stuart Fairchild uh, made his debut this year, so you're looking at two major league type players. Um, so, you know, it's I, I don't think it's a top five prospect, but I do think you, you look at what the Brewers did when they traded for Willie Adames. You know, when you fill a, a big hole in your team, um, I, th- I think it shows the players that you believe in them. They, there's an internal lift that way. Um, and you you can't rely on guys coming back like you thought you could. I mean, like Michael Lorenzen, it was kind of a prime example. He came back, got hurt after one game. Um, you know, TJ Anton and Lucas Sims, you hope they're able to do what they're usually able to do when they come back. But there's no guarantee that immediately they're going to have success right off the bat. So I, I definitely think if you want to make a push, if you're in this, and I, I think they should be. I mean, I think it's a two-team race in the National League Central. Um, you, you're going to have to pay a little bit higher of price than you want to, but um, that's kind of the price of being in it. And unfortunately, the Reds just put himself deeper behind the eight ball um, this weekend. Do you guys think that they would even dabble for a shortstop? Or is Jose Barrero, particularly the former Jose Garcia, what he's done recently, and it's a smaller sample size at AAA, but his bat has come alive of late. Um, do you think that they still think that he's the shortstop of the future, meaning the future being next year? I still think he's the shortstop of the future. And I think he makes a lot of sense in terms of, I just don't think there's a ton of impact shortstops available on the trade market. There's Trevor story, but he also comes with a huge price tag. I think he's owed a million over the last two months of the season. So I think that's a big ask. If you're a team that cut payroll in the off season to say you magically have $6 million to spend on a free agent now that you didn't have before. So I, I, and the way Barrero's hitting at AAA Louisville, I think gives some confidence that he's a little bit more developed than he was last year because he definitely got rushed to the big leagues last year. And now he has an extra full season of development to, to where he is to this point. You know, I, I, I think the more I think about it, the more I think story makes sense. But of course, it all depends on what the, Bru- the, the Rockies are thinking. And if you ask anybody in baseball what the Rockies are thinking, you will get the same answer and it will include uh, words that I can't say on this podcast um, because <laughs> nobody knows what they're thinking. Thank you for um, that. So you're welcome. I'm, I'm here for you, Chip Day. Um, so I, I, you know, at, at some point he's going to cost you more money than prospect capital. Maybe again, we don't know what the Rockies are thinking, but we also can look at the market. There's, you know, if, if Francisco Lindor is going to be back soon, you know, probably the, the, the Mets don't need them. The A's have some more pressing needs. Um, maybe the White Sox look at them at second base, but that, that, that seems kind of a weird place to do that and, and to put your chips in. Um, 
I don't know how many options the the Rockies have. Maybe that helps because this is all about supply and demand. And yeah, you you did save a bunch of money and you did kind of cut, but you are also seeing some excitement here. You know, we had twenty nine thousand yesterday. We've had some full um, crowds. Maybe you see that and say, okay, that's what we were saving for. That's what we made those cuts for to go out and be aggressive. And, you know, you just think about adding Trevor story to, to this lineup and things look a little bit better. I mean, yeah, you're, it doesn't address your bullpen, but it does address your offense, which means more runs, which means you can give up a few more runs. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't bet on it happening, but I see a way that it would be possible and I think beneficial. And, and that is a one-year deal. I mean, that's just the rest of this year. And Jose Barrero is still your guy long-term. And I think they really – I do think there is a lot of belief there. It's going to be interesting to see. Do you guys get uh, feedback? I want to talk about this. Yes. You said so-called foreign substance. We'll just call it foreign substances. Have you gotten feedback off the record without naming names but just giving kind of an overview is there worry about injuries for these pitchers, be the guys that were using it, and now they're trying to get the same spin without the sticky stuff? And how much do you think that this is going to change going forward? We've seen the spin rates go down already. Um, how do you see this playing out, Mark Sheldon? I haven't heard pitchers directly telling me. Uh, I haven't. Obviously, the clubhouse access is not as, as uh, plentiful as we used to have it at all. But uh, the one thing I would say is, you know, that I don't buy necessarily the lack of sticky stuff equates to arm injuries because all I heard in the better part of this decade, the previous decade, was the arm injuries are on the rise and there, there, there's an explosive amount of Tommy John surgeries needed. Well, people were using sticky stuff then, obviously. And I'm not saying that they're related to each other. I just think arm injuries are going to happen from throwing 98 miles an hour and a nasty hook. So I think the injury part of it, I'm not necessarily buying as a, as a correlation to why they're using spider tack. I could be wrong. I'm not a doctor, but uh, I do. Uh, I do think it's, if you just look at the stack cast metrics, everybody's spin rates down. I think the only person who's gone up is Wade Miley's of all people. Uh, and he's not, <laughs> he's not looking for that extra velocity and spin, I guess, but uh uh, I, I think I think it is a problem, and I think we've seen it in, in Anton and Sims. I don't think they're injured because of it, but I do think it's affecting pitchers. And as Trent mentioned earlier, it does affect how you evaluate other people's pitchers because you don't know who's got the stuff and who doesn't, or who gave it up and who's you know kind of adjusting. Very interesting. Where do you where do you think this is going? Is it going to lead to more offense, guys? I, I think it has already. I think we've seen it. Uh, There's some studies that have done it. Um, if you make it easier to hit, guys will hit. There's also this time of year offense usually does go up as well. So we have to keep that in mind that it's not all one-to-one. Um, but it is interesting, and it's something that I think it, it. you're also seeing guys make adjustments. You know, not to say he was guilty, but, you know, he all but said it. Garrett Cole, look, is making adjustments. And I think there will be pitchers who find different ways to get their grip back. Um, be it how they hold the ball or what kind of substances are found or not found or whatever. Um, 
you know, we've seen that in this sport many, many times before. The people who are breaking rules are always ahead of those making the rules. So that's why I'm so far behind. Gosh, darn it. I think we will see some corrections um, and and it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. It is going to be interesting. All right. Uh, where are you guys on the shift? There's so much talk about. Well, some people want to ban the shift. You want to alter it. Uh, where do you guys sit? I mean, I I need to. For me, I I want to see more balls in play. I want to see more offense. It's it's vital to the game, and, and I don't care how drastic it has to be to make that happen. Uh, where do you guys sit, Bobby? Where where do you sit on the shift? Kind of gone back and forth over the past year about how strongly I feel, but I'm right with you. I think the game needs more action, and that's the the big problem with it. Uh, hopefully, that you know less sticky stuff leads to more offense, and maybe it solves itself that way. But when you look at what happens to left-handed hitters with the infielder and shallow right field, I just think that kills left-handed hitters in terms of batting average. I mean, or Machado in deep right field. Yeah, I mean that's the one that always comes to mind is him making catches around the oh. warning. It's like that never would have happened the last hundred yeah. years. And so I, I I hate that it comes to that where you have to feel like you have to legislate defense out of the game. Because um, obviously defense, you want to be where the ball's hit. And that's where the numbers are saying the ball's hit a lot of the times. But I, I think you have to do something to make the game more exciting. I, th- I think fans can put up with three-hour games, three-and-a-half-hour games if there's more action. But yeah. don't have a ball in play for an inning and a half with just walks and strikeouts, then, then it gets quite boring. Yeah. I'm fine yeah. with the shift. I'm fine with it. Put the ball in play. The, you know, we're, we're talking two different things. We're talking about action on the field. Well, hitting into the shift is action. Hitting away from the shift is action. It's more about the strikeouts. And I understand a great reason why that is um, because we've seen more, more relief pitchers, more specialization, all of these things. Um, but I think the, the, the bigger issue was some of these foreign substances and what we need to do to get the game more, I don't know, um, more exciting is to find ways to keep the ball in play. And that is not, you know, when you hit into the shift, you're hitting into the ball in play. We're seeing some great plays. Heck, I mean, you're talking about the Manny Machado almost catching a ball in right field as a third baseman as a problem. Me, I thought it was pretty damn cool. You know, um, these are things that you can you can figure out and you can see guys go the other way. I, I just don't see that as the issue. And I don't see that is the big changing that, whether it's having two people on each side or, or any of those kind of positionings. Um, being the answer. I mean, I've never understood a legal defense in the in the NBA, and didn't they finally get rid of that? So, I don't know. Just just let them play like that. I, th- I think spitballing though, they can they they put in a legal defense in the NBA to solve a problem, and once it was solved, they went back to the way it was, and they haven't had that problem again. So, I think there's a you know there's always the idea that you could legislate it, let it see how it how it you know works for the next couple of years, and then if you aren't seeing the change that you want. You could always go back. I, I don't think it has to be, if you ban the shift, it's banned for life. I'm kind of like Bobby. I go back and forth. I, I think as a baseball fan, yeah, the ball's been put in play, but I think people want to see base hits, not, you know, uh, ground out toward the right side, 
out five to three, which is essentially, you know, ground at the second base, uh, it's, you know, it's where the second baseman or the third baseman's position. I, I just, I think it's kind of boring, but, and I think you have to meet the fans where they want to be as sometimes they don't always have the right answers, but I think the fans want to see more excitement, more uh, base people on base. And yeah, just hit, seeing a guy record ground outs out of position isn't exactly the most fun thing to watch. Yeah, hit the ball the other way. The one. You know, I, I I thought about that. That's true, but like right now, the the answer for the lefties is to to hit a bunt to an unprotected side of the field, which is, you know, I don't think Jesse Winker was put on this earth to bunt uh, against the shift, and I just don't think that's the the best way of of using of using his skills. If you look at today's game, I don't think any of them were put on the game to bunt. Not no, many can right. do it anymore. But when when I talk to hitters and I tried to talk to right-handed hitters about this because the left-handed hitters are obviously going to say yes please get rid of that short right fielder but the right-handed hitters are even like yeah let's let's alter the shift so to me if and listen there's alignments in football you got to have a tackle covered up you can only have so many on the line this is not like a new revelation in sports to be able to say there's got to be two guys on the left, two guys on the right, and your spikes have to be in the dirt. To me, is a very simple solution that's going to lead to more hits. Just to get rid of the short right fielder. Do we have to regulate how far the dirt is? Because those are different, different places. Yeah. Well, you'd have you'd certainly have to figure that out. It would it would have to be by diamond. It would have to be by stadium. That the dirt is the dirt. But just to keep them out of short right field would be the biggest thing for me. That, that short right fielder takes away so many hits. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a lowly television broadcaster. You guys are the smart ones, which, by the way, thank you for upping the IQ of this uh, podcast once again. It's all Bobby. <laughs> I have a lower IQ than Trent's beard, so I, I don't know. Wow. wow. He does have kind of a – do you have, like, a uh, social media following on the beard? Do we have Trent Rosecrans' beard – which, I think there was one once, but I uh, don't pay attention to those things. <laughs> Labor dispute. Wah, wah, wah. Whether you want to avoid it or not, <clears throat> it's uh, it's looming. I mean, there's going to be a dispute. Whether that in, involves a lockout or a strike, we'll see. But the CBA is going to be up after the season. Uh, where do you guys see it going? I mean, I, I would like to think there's so much money on the table between both sides, how much money they will make in a season that that will prevail. And there's no reason for a work stoppage or lockout. And I'm sure it'll be, uh, you know, there'll be fights leading up to it. But hopefully that's kind of the in the back of everyone's mind is there's way too much money to lose as a sport um, to do that. And you're going to damage your fan base if you miss games and every other sport is going on with harmony. So I, I, I hope that's kind of the prevailing thought. I don't know if it's headed that way. I don't really have a good grasp on it, but I, I do I do know that both sides do recognize that is there's a lot of money on the table for the league and the players to kind of give that up. I would just say I would just say that the ratings from the All-Star game showed that baseball is not waning to maybe the way that other people said it was. People thought that because the game was moved from Atlanta to Colorado, the ratings would suck and they were the best ratings they've had in five years. 
the draft even got good ratings comparative to past years. Uh, people want to consume baseball, and I think that means there's money on the table, like Bobby said. And I also think the context of the pandemic and everything the country's been through these last couple of years would make it a, you know, I, I would like to think that both sides would see that and say, this is not the time to to push the button and, and, and go into a long nuclear winter of, uh, of protracted CBA uh, strife. So I, I hope that they can see all the, see all the big picture and, and come to a deal. Let's talk some players. Nick Castellanos. Um, I know you guys aren't in this business for the fun of it, although it's a great gig. I mean, we're all covering baseball. We're very blessed to do that. And I'll ask you the proverbial, how fun is it? How fun has it been to watch Nick Castellanos? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And I think you saw it a little bit this series that when he was out, this team is just not the same. And that's almost, that's another reason this is a, this trade deadline is so vital because he's a guy who has an opt out and very, you know, with, with what the production that he's put up, he has shown that he might be worth more on the open market. Uh, you have to, I don't know. I, I think it's, you almost have to capitalize on it if you are going to uh, keep this team through the rest of the year. And that's because of Nick Castellanos. He sets a tone for this team. Um, he gives them that edge. And uh, I think he's a big part of what this team is and how they have succeeded so far. Yeah, I think Nick, when it sounds funny, but that second game of the season, when he, he flexed over Jake Woodford at home plate, I think that really kind of set him up for life in Cincinnati, as far as just how people think of him and, and things like that. And he does. And, and the, it's the on-field stuff that we all see, but there's even players that talk about Nick on the side where he's like, you know, you will pitch a good game today. You will do this. And, you you know, he, he takes guys aside that are maybe not uh, who you think. Like he went to Vladimir Gutierrez once and, and gave him a pep talk in Spanish. And that's what Nick does. He doesn't make a, a huge deal about that kind of stuff, but he's, he's a bit of a leader and he sets a tone and he, there's expectations. And watching him on the field, it seems like when there's a bases loaded or a huge situation, He's the guy that's up, and he's a lot of fun to to watch as a as a baseball fan. See what he can do. What he did against Josh Hader on Sunday was was pretty cool. I wasn't I wasn't here for peak Votto like Trent and Mark were because um, I started in 2018. But when I covered the Detroit Tigers in 2013, Miguel Cabrera won MVP that year, and it's like one of those where like no one goes to the bathroom when he's when. Cabrera was up that year. Everyone always kept their eyes on him. And it's kind of like that with Castellanos this year, where it's almost you always know when he's coming up to hit. Um, and it helps he hits after Winker, too. But um, just the fact that it's always like eyes are on him. You always expect him to do something. He's kind of lived up to the moment a lot this year with a lot of clutch hits. Um, a, lot, a lot of the big moments at Great American Ballpark this year are due to him. So I think it's fun in that sense, where it's like you always expect him to do something. It's almost kind of like a shock when he lines out or strikes out and he, he doesn't have a big play at the end of the game. What do you think about this opt out as we, it's hard to say as we sit here now in July, but how much do you think this labor dispute is going to affect his opt out? Do you think he's going to opt out? Is it a given he's going to opt out? He's a Boris client. What do you guys think? And what right now, if what's he going to command? on the free agent market. I think he will opt out. 
I think no matter what happens, uh, even if the, there is a CBA uh, crash and, and there's there's a, uh, a an off season of uncertainty, Scott Boris always finds a market. And there will be a market for Nick Castellanos, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. And, and let's face it, it, Nick's had a great year. Now, Nick loves it in Cincinnati, and, and I'm sure that'll count for something. But Trevor Bauer also likes Cincinnati, and he, he had no trouble get, commanding top dollar after a great year and, and going elsewhere. And I think that's what's going to happen with Nick, too. Trent, what do you think he commands on the market? You know, that's always a tricky thing, and I'm not good at that game. Um, but I think it's more than the, what, 232 that he would be owed. Um, so that's really all he has to top. And I, I think he can get more than that. And that's, at, at this point, that's all that really matters. Does that make the Reds out of the running for that, Bobby, in your estimation? I don't think so. I mean, right now he's owed $16 million a year, so that's already – in the Reds' mind, that's on the books for the next two years. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to up your offer. Um, but say it's like $22 million and if Great American Ballpark keeps selling the way it has, say the Reds make the playoffs, um, you know, I think it becomes a lot more attractive at the end of the season if things go well the next two months and Nick Cassianos enjoys his time in Cincinnati. I think he makes more money on the open market, uh, but th- I don't think that means the Reds don't have a chance to, to re-sign him. I think they're they were already accounting for the money that he's owed for the next two years. So you just have to up it up. And, you know, Nick Cassianos has kind of earned that with the season he's had. Would there be a worry that he is right now, for lack of a better term, playing above his head? Or has he ascended into this player? Is this who he is now? Can he sustain it? Are you rolling the dice that you're signing top dollar for one season? even though he's had some spurts of success and he was a good player in Detroit, great uh, run in Chicago. Is there a worry that ponying up that much money? I think the one thing he is going for him is he's only 29. So you're still talking about a guy who should still be in his prime for the mm-hmm. next seven years. And when, when he got, when he got to the Cubs, that's when he really kind of turned things around. He was unbelievable in those two months with the Cubs. And I think the big thing is, you know, Detroit, they were rebuilding in his last couple of years he was there. I think it's hard to be – he was the older guy surrounded by a lot of younger players. To find that motivation, to, you, you can tell when, when the team's going well like the Reds are this year and he's motivated, he's as good as anybody. He doesn't want to be on rebuilding teams. He always talks about his uh, interest in winning. So I, I think that's what always is going to motivate him. And as long as teams are winning, um, I, I think this is kind of the intensity that you're going to see from him. Interesting. It's going to be interesting to follow. He's a he's a fascinating guy. He, he's I, I call him calm intensity, which those two words together are weird. I know, but he's just this even keel. Just it's always even keel, but he's got this intensity to him. At the same time, it's fascinating to watch, particularly now that I'm back down in the dugout to watch him sitting out the games against Milwaukee and to see him operate. They say that he's a leader by example and not real vocal. Well, I saw a different thing in the dugout over the weekend. He is certainly leading not only by example, but also by talking, his actions, stepping in. There's no doubt in my mind. I know Mike Moustakis is injured, and he's everyone talks about him being a fantastic leader, but it's hard to lead when you're not on the squad. Nick Castellanos is the unquestioned leader of this team right now. 
in my estimation, particularly watching this weekend. So he's, he's fascinating for me to watch. Life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Jonathan India, guys, a few years back, not even a few years back, it might have been last year, um, before he went to the alternate site, I always like to talk to scouts and, and front office people and those that watch the minor leagues. And the consensus was he still has a chance. He's not a bust, but he still has a chance to be a good utility player, a good backup player. And here we are in July of 2021, and we're talking about who might be the leadoff hitter for the Reds for a long, long time. Do you think that he can keep up this? How impressed have you been with Jonathan India, Trent? I, I, the guy's been unreal. And you talked about that leadoff spot, and he's been that guy they've been looking for. Yeah. How long? I mean, how long? And, you know, he's kind of like a 400 on base percentage. He just grinds and... You know, David Bell talked about it the other day. You just see the adjustments he's making so quickly. And and there was that little lull that he had at the beginning of the season. And then he kind of figured it out. And you just see him keep going there. And like Castellanos, he has that edge. It is the guy, you know, you, we talked about how hard it is to be a leader as a young player. He does it just by how he is. And um, it's been fascinating to watch him develop into that. You know, he's a guy that you'd still like to see become more consistent on defense. Um, it is a new position for him. So there have been some some rough points. But, you know, you go – it's exactly like you said. You go from a thing where like, oh, man, where was this pick to, to being a guy that is that is a long – term part of this team and and someone you almost build around you don't really want to do that at second base um, but he's a guy who could go back to third you could do some different things with him and, and it's just uh it's been an unbelievably impressive him and tyler stevenson I, i'm sure that was a follow-up question but yeah. the two rookies that they have on this team are neither seems like a rookie neither carries themselves as a rookie and it's been it's been huge yeah to be yeah, able to india Go ahead, Mark. Good. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, India, what impresses is that, I, like Trent mentioned, there was a, a stretch maybe in May where he was on his way possibly to AAA. They were looking at Nick Senzel at second base. Oh, he, he, was, a, he was a day away from it. And I, uh, you know, then Senzel got hurt and India got a second chance and made the most of it. And I think now you can't get him out of the lineup. And uh, the one thing that, besides the way he's hit, is, you know, he gets on base like, Jeff Brantley is talking about this in the radio the other day when I was in there. And it's like, he could go 0 for four, but he still might get on base two times, whether he's hit by a pitch, he's always getting hit by a pitch or he's drawing walks. He's, he's always thinking about getting on first base. And then, and when you have a guy that's willing to do that in the leadoff spot, certainly that, that sets the tone. Right. But the other thing that really gets me is how, how much he wants to play in the games. Like he got one, one game where his shoulder was injured and it looked like it was going to be a really serious shoulder injury. And he stayed in the game he in a on a double play he is his hand got into the helmet of a, of a sliding player and it looked like he was going to be hurt stayed in the game and I think 
the other players watch that and they think that's pretty cool and they think that's a guy they want to play with. And I think that's important. Yeah, he's been – he's a gamer, man. He, at least this short into his career, you can you can label him as a gamer, there's no doubt. And you usually don't label rookies like that too much, but you can just see the way he plays the game, uh, his aura, his attitude, that uh, he is certainly a gamer. And I, I hope he keeps it up. You mentioned Tyler Stevenson, and so important, obviously, to have solid players up the middle, particularly young players that you can build around. Tucker Barnhart, two-time gold glover, has swung the bat at times much better this season, strictly from the left-hand side, not switch hitting. He's got a team option. I think it's like $7.5 million. The buyout isn't much. Where do you guys see that going, Bobby? I've kind of gone back and forth on it this year, but I think when they took three or four in Milwaukee, I think that's when you saw Tucker Barnhart's value behind the plate. Just kind of, it's so like Tyler Stevenson, I think is a future all-star. I think the world of what his potential is, but what Tucker Barnhart can do behind the plate and win you games that way, even, even though it kind of blocks Stevenson's playing time in a way, I still find it hard to think you can find a better defensive catcher on the open market you know, even draft and develop someone to the level Tucker Barnhart is. I just think he's so much better defensively than um, Stevenson right now and almost anyone in the National League in terms of how he calls games, in terms of how he throws guys out. Uh, I, I, th I think you almost have to look really, really hard at keeping him around because the, the success of the pitching staff, I, th I think you can trace a lot of that back to what Tucker Barnhart does. Do you see – I love that they started mixing in Stevenson, even though they threw him into the fire at first base – has been able to handle it pretty well, and he's only going to get better with, with more time. And, you know, with Votto, father time is undefeated. Let's face it, undefeated will always be undefeated. Can you mix Tyler Stevenson in at first base more in the, in the next couple of years and still have that mix at catcher and still have Barnhart? Is that the best world to go, Trent? I think there's a lot to that. Um, you know, you look at – for the most part, you still have catching tandems and look at what, what San Francisco is doing and what San Francisco has done with Buster Posey, getting him time at first base at different times. Um, the DH is going to help that. Of course, you have a lot of guys that you may mix and match between if you're looking ahead between DH and first base um, in, in both Vado, maybe a Eugenio Suarez, maybe Mike Moustakis and then Tyler Stevenson. So there, there's going to be a lot of moving parts in there. Um, but I think the DH will help and cause he can also DH some, but you know, aside from really Yadier Molina catchers don't catch every day. Yadier's the one guy who does that mm -hmm. everybody else you mix and match and it's a catching tandem. And right now you have a solid defensive catcher. I think, I think Tyler Stevenson's done a really nice job. He's very solid behind the plate. You have a two-time gold glove winner and to mix and match those two ones, left-handed ones, one hits left-handed one hits right-handed. It's, it's a pretty perfect situation. And um, you know, that Tyler Stevenson has taken to first base pretty well is just another piece in that puzzle. And that David Bell isn't scared to use him in those spots because a lot of times you you keep that backup catcher just in case kyle farmer helps out a little bit there although especially now that he's um you know 
not 100% physically. You, that, that is an emergency only situation as mm-hmm. it, as if it weren't before, but, but just the fact that you, that, that you've seen bell um, use Stevenson in big hit pinch hitting opportunities and say the seventh, the sixth, seventh, eights. I, I think that says a lot about, I think that's an important piece and something that you can see moving forward that he can be used in another way. All right. I want to ask you guys about the, uh, I don't want to go through the entire 40 man roster. <laughs> you guys, although it'd be interesting because I, I love having you guys on and getting the insight from you guys. Uh, Cause you guys do the, the true journalism if there's journalism left on this planet, I think baseball writers uh, certainly are amongst that group. The current situation, the environment, and it's changed for you guys because you all three have traveled, which helps. We're now allowed back on the field, not in the clubhouse, but we're allowed on the field to do one-on-one interviews with players. It helps. But still not being able to get into the clubhouse what is the current environment for your job right now? Has it improved to the point where you're satisfied with it or not? Trent? Oh, nowhere near satisfied. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's improved. It's improved a lot. And I think all of us, you know, that first couple times we got to talk to people in person, I think it helped a lot of us and, and not just on our side. You know, I remember Wade Miley talking about how like, oh, I tell this story a lot, but you know, Wade said, Hey, I can't wait to have you guys back here so I can wring your neck if 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 you write something I don't like. But I mean, that's exactly right. There's accountability. Um, but but beyond that is you get different stories. And right now we pregame access for us honestly is the most important, but Post game is also vastly important um, just to differentiate, to tell the different stories as opposed to, oh, here's what happened with this one player that we got on Zoom. And, and and we've done all these interviews. We're doing one on Zoom right now. It's not the same that you get face-to-face. You don't get the asides. You don't get the, hey, hold on. Let me try to explain this without being on the record, you know, or, or it, it's just so much different. And what I think what so many people see is different and we're not getting some of the insights, not saying that it's me that's bringing insight. No, it's me that is access to, to shine some light on that and to make something more interesting to really understand things. Um, One of my favorite things to do is to ask a question, Hey, can, can you help me understand this? And that's hard to do in this setting on a zoom. It's hard to get nuance there is no nuance. And that is what, you know, I, I've been around Mark and Bobby for a long time. That is what they're good at doing. And they do it differently than I do. And sometimes, you know, Mark can get something from somebody in a different way than I can. And I can learn so much from reading him. Even if I'm in the clubhouse, I don't work a clubhouse the same way Mark does or Bobby does. And they'll ask different questions and you'll get different stuff and you'll learn so much. That's why I love reading these guys. Uh, because they do bring in those different perspectives. And that's why you read as many people as you can and you get different people who come from different places and can give you all this information and entertain you in different ways and educate you in different ways. And that all starts with just being human and on a human level. And, and that's hard to do over a screen. No doubt. Mark, has it been easier better where do you think it's going do you think we'll ever get back in the clubhouse 
Well, first of all, I want to be clear that, you know, no one wants to hear media people complaining about what they have or don't have. Right. So no, I, this is not grateful. a complaint. Yeah, no, it's it, no. Put, but just, put so us aside. That. That's why I, I should have asked the question like this. Just say that it's reporter X, reporter Y, reporter Z. Take the personal aspect out of it. Yes, it makes our job easier. But in the end, who's going to lose the fan if you're not getting That's the right. best story or you're not getting the best broadcast? The game is made for the fans, and who's losing out in the end? Who cares about us? It's the fans. Yeah. I well, should I agree, have worded I, and, it that and way. It is better. I think it's better, and I think all three of our respective coverage has been better, and I think because of that, the readers slash the fans are the ones that benefit from that. I think they get more information from us, and I think there's been times where we've had conversations on the field individually or all three of us with a particular person, and we've learned something. Uh, you build rapport with people and maybe they will become more comfortable talking to you later on. Maybe that, you know, just talking about whatever on the field one day may not do anything, but down the road, that player may want to tell you something. And I, and I but I do think it's great. It's, it's definitely recharged me a little bit to be back on the field, to be able to talk to players and, and the you know coaches and managers and, and even just the support staff that are with the team. It's, it does add a little to being out there. It's definitely, uh harder to do this on zoom it's 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 not great and i think the players don't like it anymore and i'm 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 encouraged by the fact that there have been players that have come up to me and said we want you back in the clubhouse and i i hope that that happens elsewhere as well because i think that ultimately the i think the union being based in new york and the league being based in new york they they only kind of view it from the the Yankees and Mets and maybe boston and philadelphia situations where there's a lot of media and players feel like they're cornered and it's a, a little bit more adversarial sometimes. And I think in the smaller markets, it's it's just not like that. And it means doesn't mean we're not asking tough questions. It just means that there's fewer of us, and I don't feel as overwhelmed. And yeah. I and I think the union looks at the big markets and maybe doesn't think about the smaller markets that players actually do want us in there because we can be accountable for what we write, what we say, and what we do. And and I'd like to see that us get back in there. Whether whether we will or not, I really don't know. The CBA is kind of overriding all of that. And if there's not a a good outcome on the CBA, then maybe we never get back in. I don't know. I, I just think one misconception is like, because uh, I always hear it is like, why, why do you need to be in the locker room? And it's like, you have to look at it almost like a lounge, not like your local gym where guys are just changing in there. It's like, that's right. where guys hang out. That's where they're um, just on their phones. Free. You can learn a lot that way too. I mean, you look at like, I remember last or a couple years ago now, where it was like Joey Votto and Jesse Winker talking hitting and, Votto's like telling Winker what to, you know, how to extend his hands better or something like that. And it's just stuff you can pick up on. And, um, you know, it's great. We're back on the field again, but it's like, that's what you're kind of missing is you don't get to see kind of that behind the scenes, uh, what guys are doing in their free time, because when they're on the field, they're kind of doing their business. They're taking batting practice. They're going out to field. Um, so it's not the exact same where they just have downtime and you can kind of pick up things from conversations around the, the clubhouse. And, but like, one thing that happened recently, I remember we were in Kansas City, it was me and Trent, we were talking to Wade Miley for probably like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And it's amazing to see, like, he is an amazing pitching mind. And I don't know if that's come through. He's a guy, like, on Zooms, he doesn't like to talk a ton. Kind of kind of likes to play the character, like, I'm just a, I'm just a left -hand, old left-handed pitcher. Um, but he, he is an amazing mind in terms yeah, of Yeah, he, he comes across as like, oh, I'm just a I'm a I'm a dumb country boy. I what do I know? But he he is the, and everyone feeds off of him. It's amazing to see 
Like when he throws the the guys in the bullpen huddling around because they want to watch him work the ball up and down and in and out and how he works and he's just a sponge for information. That dude is smart. Bobby and I just sat there like we were in we were in class, you know, honestly. And um it's one of the beauties of this job is we get to learn and hopefully with more access and more of those things, we can pass that along. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it was, it was absolutely fascinating. And I'm glad Robbie brought that up. Cause it was, it was one of the coolest 30 minutes I've had in a long time, just listening to this guy talk about how to pitch. Yeah. And that's what we miss out on. And people is interesting. You brought that up, Bobby. I get that too. It's like, well, why do you need to be in the clubhouse or the locker room? I mean, that's their space. And yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not, hanging out where they're in front of the mirror, you know, putting gel in their hair. <laughs> That's not happening. There's a lot of downtime in the clubhouse where guys just sitting around their locker. And we are the conduit to the fans. That's what I try to explain. Like the, the players aren't going to just have a forum for the public to pick their brains. We are the conduit to the fans. So put, again, put us aside. Just think of it as we are the arm, the extension to the public. And the more access, not us personally, anyone, more access you get, the better stories the fans are going to get, the better insight they're going to get, the better viewing experience, reading experience. All experiences are going to be better if the conduit to the fans has the most access. That's what it comes down to. Honestly, you know, I've thought about this a lot. It, in some ways, and I want it to be clear, you know, and, and Mark is 100% right. Nobody wants to hear us complain. Um, and we're not complaining. In some ways, with the Zoom and everything, our job is easier to do that way. It is easier. Way However, easier. it is harder to do well. Right. And all four of these people on this, this call, I've known for many years. And I know each one of us doesn't care about doing the job easily. We right. care about doing the job the best we can do. And so it would be a hell of a lot easier for me just to be on that Zoom and do it that way. We've all done that. And it stinks because none of us are, I'll only speak for myself here. I don't feel fulfilled because I'm not doing my job well. And the problem is, for a lot of places, it's not about doing a good job. It's about doing a job. And that nobody, the, the, the quality isn't as important to some. Because, hey, Jim, you can call this game off a TV monitor. And you can say that the ball was hit to second base. But without being there, you're not going to tell us why it was hit to second base. Or you're not going to bring that extra enjoyment. And it is a, it is a, it's just a detriment to enjoying baseball that broadcasters aren't there at the game, that we're not at the game. We can bring so much more and bring so much more knowledge by being at the park. And it is, I think the broadcast has suffered. And that's not to say that the guys aren't doing the best job they can do under the circumstances, but you can do a better job and you want to do your job the best you can. And if that means extra work for you, well, there's a reason a lot of us stay until 1 a.m. There's a reason I get home at 2 a.m. sometimes. And there's a reason I 
will be at the park. I will get up at 6 a.m. for a flight and then get back to my hotel at 2 a.m. Mark, Bobby, Jim, you all do the same thing because you love what you do and you want to do it well. And we need to be given, if, if we aren't given that opportunity, it's not us who suffers. It's the fan. All right, boys, we'll end it with this. Where do you think the 2021 season is going? Do the red legs, the battling red legs, still have a shot? Uh, yes, they have a shot. I, and I think, I don't think this weekend, I know a lot of people have said the season's over, bring on Bengals and college football. Wah, wah, wah. This, this season has taught us anything. It's taught us that there's been a lot of extremes. We've seen the, the six-game winning streaks. We've seen the six-game losing streaks. We've seen the debacle in San Diego, and then they come back from that. and They break off a 9-2 and two record going into the break. So I think anything can happen. I think the Brewers, like you mentioned, are going out west a lot. They have a tougher schedule. The Reds have a much easier schedule after they get through this stretch with the Mets. Uh, and I think, yes, they'll hang around. Will they make the playoffs? I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think the odds are against them, but I think they're going to – I think they'll still be in it, you know, at least through August. Bobby? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a two-team race. You'd much rather be the Brewers at this point with a seven-game lead in the division than seven games behind. But um, I definitely think there's a chance. I think it'll tighten up at some point. I, I think you have to be encouraged by how the Reds are pitching, starting pitching. Um, you know, Castillo looks like he's back on track. I think there's confidence that Sonny Gray will get back to where he needs to be. Wade Miley's been really good this year. Uh, Tyler Malley keeps improving. So I, I, th I think there's reason to be optimistic. I just think it's a, it's a lot of ground in two months. I think that's kind of the big challenge, but um, I, I think they'll at least make it exciting. I, the, Bre the Brewers have played really well over the past month, especially since they got Adames in that trade. I think they have the best record in baseball. Um, every, every team's due to go through their ups and downs. Uh, so, so I think it'll be close. I just think it's one of those, can they make the right moves at the trade deadline? Um, can Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker and those guys keep leading the offense? Um, if they can, I, I think they'll be right into it, right in it at the end of the season. Uh, Bobby, Cincinnati.com, and, of course, still the printed edition of the Cincinnati Inquirer. That's where you can find you. Mark Sheldon, MLB.com, Reds.com, and Trent, the Athletic. That would be the Athletic.com as well as your wonderful app. So that's where you can check these guys writing out. And, again, you guys do a terrific job. Um, you're the lifeblood of when you talk about the conduit to the fans. You guys are truly the lifeblood of that. And keep up the good work. And thank you so much for uh, hanging out on this uh, lowly podcast. Thanks for lowering your standards and coming on this podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is the boys, the trifecta. Bobby Nightingale, C. Trent Rosecrans, and Mark Sheldon. Thanks again for hanging out with us, and thanks for clicking on the Gym Day podcast, and please spread the word that this podcast exists. And we will see you on down the road, everyone. So long. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 